This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I am so in love with supernatural young adult teen romances. It's funny that you should bring that up. I actually recently fell in love with a young woman who turned out to be um, a witch, so I'm not sure That's fine. My if this relationship's vampire. really going to last. Oh, your guy's a vampire? Yeah. What's that like? It's pretty cool. He sparkles. Okay. <laughs> top that. I, I can't top sparkling. Sorry. All right. Well, this is a special bonus episode of Cinema Fix focused on the new film, Beautiful Creatures, and other young adult supernatural romance book-to-film adaptations. So if you're new to Cinema Fix, basically this is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. We are here to satisfy your addiction to quality conversation about the movies. And usually, each week, we release an episode in two parts. We release a spoiler-free segment and a spoiler-filled segment. But as mentioned, this is not a normal episode of the show. And uh, here's how this episode is going to work. Uh, Monica, you and I are first going to give some overall thoughts on Beautiful Creatures as a movie. That's just going to be our review portion of the episode, I guess you could say. And that'll probably last... 10 to 15 minutes, uh, and that's going to be spoiler-free. So if you haven't seen Beautiful Creatures, but you would like to know what we thought of it, you can listen to that. However, after that, we're going to broaden our discussion and get a bit more analytical. We're going to be exploring the gender issues that are present, not only in Beautiful Creatures, but in other similar properties, other young adult novels about supernatural teen romance that have been turned into movies. And uh, that part of the conversation might contain spoilers for Beautiful Creatures, Twilight, and Warm Bodies. Uh, those are going to be the three main movies we focus on. And uh, if we discuss anything else in depth, I will put it in the show notes for the episode. But uh, let's talk Beautiful Creatures. Monica, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a little information about the movie? All right. It was directed by Richard La Gravenes. I don't know how to pronounce it. Richard LG. It stars <laughs> Alden Ehrenreich as Ethan Wake. He's a high school junior in Gatlin, South Carolina, who can't wait to go to college and get as far away as possible from the podunk town. However, things start to get a little crazy when he falls in love with the new girl, Lena Duquesne, played by Alice Englert, who turns out to be a caster, what we normally call a witch. And on her 16th birthday, she'll either become either a force for good or for evil, and she has no choice in the matter. Jeremy Irons plays her uncle, a former dark caster who now works for the light, and Emma Thompson plays her evil mother. Oh, and Viola Davis is in the movie as a librarian. Yes, and as a magical black person. Well, words on that later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's a clip. Let's get out of here. Let's go. Where? Anywhere. Lena, most people spend their entire lives waiting for a moment that's going to change everything. It never happens. 
We can start our lives right now, okay? We just got to say yes. We just got to get in the car and just go. I can't do that. Why? When I turn 16, I might not even be who I am now. Why? What, what could happen? When a female caster turns 16, we face what they call the claiming. Paris will be claimed for either the light or the dark, depending on my true nature. I have 75 days left, Ethan. I don't know what I'll be. I don't know who I really am inside. Okay, Monica, let's take 10 to 15 minutes to give some brief, spoiler-free thoughts on Beautiful Creatures. What did you think of this movie? I actually liked it. I recommended it to you. I kind of forced the movie upon you because we were only going to... Yes. And we were only going to talk about Die Hard 5, and I was like, no, I just saw this crazy southern fried Twilight, and you have to see it. Yeah, and I had not planned on seeing this movie. I thought the trailers looked really... Bad. Really stupid. Just... Awful. Like I, I watched it after I watched the movie, and I was like, wow, I would not want to see this movie. And I actually like the movie. Yeah, it's actually not a bad movie. I mean, it's basically Twilight with brains. Uh, it's a lot smarter than you might think. The romance actually is somewhat compelling. Mm-hmm. There was actually good acting, because they they, you know, decided to hire good actors for the background pieces as opposed to like i think the top actor in twilight is michael shannon right wait not michael shannon it's what's his name michael sheen michael sheen yeah there's a lot of good actors in this movie jeremy irons he's great emma thompson emma thompson just chews the scenery in this movie and is clearly having a lot of fun fun. (laughs) and as a result i was having fun whenever she was on screen she does a great job emmy rossum as well and viola davis Yes, Viola Davis is great as always. And Emmy Rossum, she, I thought, had a lot of screen presence. She sort of reminded me of a young, sexy Julia Roberts. Yeah. In a weird way. Sure, I thought she was a little bit more menacing than Julia Roberts has ever been, but... Oh, yes, far more <laughs> menacing than Julia Roberts has ever been. <laughs> but that was that was the vibe I kind of got from her. And I have to say the two leads, I thought, actually did a really good job, particularly... Alden Ehrenreich mm-hmm. as as Ethan. Something about his performance just felt really natural mm-hmm. and very realistic to me. There's a scene when he is talking with Lena and they're just like he's like sitting on his car and they're having a conversation. There's a moment where like his face he just goes through like five or six expressions. Yeah. <laughs> really quickly like you can tell he's like thinking Mm -hmm. and processing and it's reflected on his face and it's just little little things he'll do like bite his lip or little gestures that just seemed really natural to me and he's actually a very charming lead and and i thought he was really compelling and i think this guy's got a really bright future ahead of him if he can bring that amount of charisma to a movie like beautiful creatures (laughs) i can't i I can't wait to see what he does with some more meteor material yeah um his presence was a little stronger which was fortunate because he happens to be the main character (laughs) right i mean they have 
three more sequels, so maybe she'll bloom a little bit more. I mean, <laughs> Alice Englert, I thought, did a good job. She's essentially playing the Edward Cullen role. Yes, as the mysterious, powerful, supernatural thing. Yes, the weird new person who's kind of an outcast and doesn't show a lot of emotion and gradually starts to open up. She actually does open up a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> by the end. Just a bit. Um, unlike Edward Cullen, who never seemed to open up during five movies. So it, her performance is a little bit one note, but at the same time, that's kind of what the script requires most of the time. Yeah. And I thought that she did have very good chemistry. Mm-hmm. With Aaron Reich, yeah. So yeah, I was I was impressed. It's a shame the movie hasn't done very well at the box office. Yeah, I'm not sure if those three sequels will ever be turned into films. <laughs> Darn it! Which is a little bit of a shame because I, part of me feels like I sat through five Twilight movies. Can I at least get a somewhat solid take on similar material? Yeah, probably not going to happen. Damn. And you have that Carolina pride there. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, granted, South Carolina is our inferior southern neighbor, but <laughs> there is some of that no. Carolina pride. I mean, I, just the beginning of the movie kind of won me over where he was talking about he wanted to get out as soon as possible. The opening of the movie is weird because the, the movie started and I got a real bad feeling yeah. just because the voiceover... Oh, voiceover is always... Uh, <laughs> His accent just wasn't commanding enough, I think, for that type of opening voiceover. Oh, you wanted a more southern draw? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, less southern draws. Less southern draw. Maybe if his voice was a little deeper, had a little bit more gravitas. You mean if Jeremy Irons narrated his life? If Jeremy Irons had done the opening voiceover, maybe the voiceover could have worked okay. at the beginning. Okay. But yeah, the, the movie starts out with the weird dream sequences and the voiceover, and I was like, oh no, this doesn't feel good. But then it got much better after that. And the movie's not perfect. I think structurally there are some some major issues. Yes. There's a sequence of scenes in the first act of the movie that just kind of left me confused. Yeah, and there were... Like, too much happens all at once, and the, the, the audience doesn't really have enough time to catch up and process, mm-hmm. and it takes... So I feel like the movie could have slowed down a bit, but even so, I I enjoyed myself way more than I was expecting to. I mean, after getting pummeled by Die Hard 5. Yeah, I, I never would have expected that if I saw Identity Thief, A Good Day to Die Hard, and Beautiful Creatures in the same weekend, that Beautiful Creatures would end up being the best of the three. How is that even possible you know die hard five animals mccarthy comedy yeah ended up being terrible <laughs> but the supernatural teen romance movie ended up being pretty good yeah, not half bad. <laughs> yeah and the beautiful creatures it just seemed to have a lot more weight behind it there were a lot there were so many more interesting ideas going on in this movie than than in something like twilight uh, not only do you have the whole Star Wars thing where it's like the light side versus the dark yes, side. <laughs> and you've got the, the gender issues uh, related to who can choose. There's also a surprisingly dark scene earlier, early on in the movie when uh, Jeremy Irons basically shows Ethan his future. Yes. That was one of my favorite scenes. And I was just sitting there like, 
what? This is awful. <laughs> this is like just existentially depressing <laughs> right here. How is this in, in, in a movie like Beautiful Creatures? But it, it, I mean, somehow they made it work. And, uh, I thought that the directing was solid. There were some really, uh, cool visuals at times. At times. <laughs> it's not perfect. As much as I loved it. Sure, it's not perfect. And, and there are some structural issues and, and also the racial politics of this town, Gatlin, make no sense to me. <laughs> but there are flaws, but they're forgivable. Yeah. Overall, I would recommend that people check out Beautiful yes, Creatures. Give Beautiful Creatures a second chance. Gosh, if you checked out Identity Thief, you have no moral ground to stand on. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> or, or die hard. <laughs> <laughs> You've lost all respect. Might as well go for the trifecta. <laughs> okay. Well, it sounds like we both really liked Beautiful Creatures. Let, let's move on to the main in-depth part of this episode. Uh, one of the main reasons you said that, that you wanted to talk about Beautiful Creatures mm -hmm. is that you thought that the gender politics in this movie were really interesting and that it would it, it it could be cool to compare the gender roles in beautiful creatures to other similar movies like warm bodies which we talked about recently mm -hmm. and and the twilight saga in particular because as you and I have said in the past the twilight in particular has some really messed up gender politics <laughs> messed up like no other or at least none other made before i don't know the 90s when women hit the workplace. <laughs> I think as far as, like, mainstream franchises go, the Twilight Saga may be the most sexist property I've ever seen. Yeah. It, it's, it, like, it, outright It's just sexist. awful. <laughs> yes. But so let, let's talk about that. Um, for those of you listening at home, we, we might get into spoilers. Oh, we're getting into spoilers. We're get, just say it. We're getting into it. We'll probably definitely get into spoilers regarding Beautiful Creatures. We might also possibly spoil Twilight and Warm Bodies. Uh, so just be aware of that uh, before you continue listening. But okay, let's talk about this stuff. All these movies are pretty much... They're very similar. They're just either switching the point of view character uh, that the audience is supposed to identify with, or they're switching the person in the relationship that is the other, yes. that is this strange, supernatural, weird person. You know, in Twilight, it's about young woman falls in love with a vampire, and it's told from her point of view. In Warm Bodies, she falls in love with a zombie, but it's from the zombie's point of view. And in Beautiful Creatures, uh, it's the normal guy falls in love with a witch, and it's primarily his point of view. Mm -hmm. So they're all very slim similar. They're just slightly tweaking the premise. So what was it about Beautiful Creatures that really stuck out to you? Well, it was nice that it reversed the power dynamic of... Twilight. The one of the main problems that I have with Twilight so much is that all the power is in Edward Cullen's hands over Bella, basically. She's very, you know, introvert or so, and she's supposed to also be an outsider, and then that's how they bond. But then the actual relationship itself, he has to stop from biting her and turning her into a vampire. And when they do have sex, it turns it's an issue of he wants to tear her apart. And there's that very 
inadvertently but quite hilarious scene on their honeymoon where um, he actually breaks the headboard over her. And when she wakes up the next morning, she has bruises all over her body. Like Then it starts going into almost domestic abuse territory. Yeah, the disturbing thing about Twilight is the whole series, it's really all about sex. Mm-hmm. Or, for most of the series, the absence of sex. And the fact that these people clearly desperately want to have sex, but they can't. They're, they're remaining abstinent for various reasons. Because her boyfriend wants to tear her apart. What kind of relationship is this? He's just filled with this primal urge to consume her literally. He wants to suck her blood and kill her, and he's worried that will happen if they get too close. Meanwhile, she's just this super horny teenage girl. And the, the problem with Twilight is that that is really the only aspect of their relationship. That is it. Yeah. Like, I watch those movies, and I'm like, why are you two even together? Like, they don't seem very happy. They don't mm-hmm. seem like cool people I'd want to hang out with. They don't seem like people, period. They don't even look like they care much about each other. Like, if it wasn't so much about the non-sex, they would probably just be friends with benefits and move on. Right. Like, they say they care about each other and they're deeply in love with each other, but I don't get that by watching them interact. Yeah. There, There's really no chemistry between them at all. Mm-hmm. And it is a very disturbing relationship. I mean, he stalks her, he watches her sleep, sleep he <laughs> says he wants to kill her, and she's just like, oh wow, that's so romantic. And he's territorial because he, she also is friends with the wolf who also has a cr- werewolf who has a crush on her. Yes. The creepy thing about Twilight is that they don't have lives outside of each other. That stops really early in the series. Right. You know, like in the second movie, they break up and she's just like ready to kill herself yeah because she has no life apart from him Mm -hmm. it's it's really some terrible messages that it's sending young women no it's a stuff of nightmares for me my sister is really into those books and i'm like this is not at all what you should be going after like i was into the harry potter books i know this was supposed to be the follow-up to that or the next new harry potter but not i don't think harry potter was instilling any bad patterns of friendships or relationships right and with with beautiful creatures i feel like these people actually could have lives apart from each other yeah like uh ethan has interests outside he's into like the books that are banned and whatnot and he's really also wants to travel and he wants to see the world outside like his character is very well developed it's not so much on her end but she's also not the main character that's also a kind of an issue I had. But also on her end, you get the feeling, particularly at first, she's not looking for a relationship. She's still trying to figure out who she is, what's going to happen to her on her 16th birthday. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if, if Ethan didn't come along, it's not like she's going to go looking for romance. She has her own stuff that she's, she's dealing with. interested in and that she's dealing with personally. And... I think that that actually helps their relationship a lot. You you do get the impression that to, that, that they are real people, mm-hmm. that they have their own lives, they have their own concerns, they have their own problems that they're dealing with apart from this relationship. Yes. But yeah, any anything else that stuck out to you about Beautiful Creatures? 
No, I actually, I didn't mind the relationship. I actually liked it that the power, in terms of like the power, um, the supernatural power, it was in her hands, but she never used it really to manipulate or influence him um, other than the spell she cast to save his life, to make her, make him forget her because she was going to have to sacrifice him for some sort of spell thing. But rather than do that and put him at risk, she'd rather him forget about her. Right. It's interesting because if you compare that to something like Twilight, Twilight, the whole thing in that in that series of movies is they, they, they just want to be together. They want to be together forever. Yeah. She's begging him, like, use your powers, uh, bite me, turn me into a vampire so we can just live together for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Whereas... In beautiful creatures, you can tell that they they genuinely love each other, not because they want to be together forever, but because they are willing to sacrifice for each other that yeah. for each other's benefit. Yeah, she is willing to not have that love in her life mm-hmm. if it means he will survive. Yeah, um, and it's a much more, it's more mature, selfless too. and a more mature yeah. relationship in that respect. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talked about warm bodies, unfortunately, part two of that discussion was lost due to some technical reasons. But even even in that discussion, you had said that there were some gender issues in warm bodies that you wanted to discuss that we didn't really dive into. Trying to think back all those many moons ago. Um, Well, I thought the fact that, uh, I think her name, yes, it was in Julie. She was a very strong female character. I thought that, you know, she could manage and take care of herself. Her um, relationship with her previous boyfriend, Dave Franco's uh, character, kind of had deteriorated to the point where she was just like, eh, it's like there. They're almost just together out of habit and out of everything that's gone on in their lives. But once he's gone, she's she's only a little slightly sad <laughs> and moves on to she doesn't really take to R. He's kind of a zombie. I didn't find her any over clingy. I didn't find her to be shallow. I bought into her character and it was nice. I, I also thought in the in the relationship, they also helped each other. She's more a little egalitarian than any sort of supernatural more more egalitarian than if it was just supernatural he was straight up protecting her she was just protecting him her shooting abilities were able to get them out of problems and him coaching her how to you know play zombie helped out i will agree with you that the the gender politics in warm bodies are nowhere near as problematic as those in twilight and I was engaged in that relationship for most of the movie. And, and I, I liked the movie on the whole. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, I did, even though... You fought with me so hard. <laughs> yes, in part two, I did have take a lot of issue with some of the world building. On the whole, I thought it was a, a fine, if simplistic, movie. Mm-hmm. One interesting question I've heard brought up, I, I was listening to, I think it was a Slate podcast earlier this week, and they brought up the question of, you know, in warm bodies, isn't Julie the ultimate manic pixie dream girl? Like, isn't she the ultimate magical female who comes along and turns around the life of the guy? And it is just perfect in every respect. Like, like she's literally bringing him back to life. You know, she is bringing him back from the dead. In words... I like if you just say yeah he's she's literally bringing him back to life but he's also a zombie 
so reasons. But I think as a character, she is not as whimsical. She comes with problems. Her mother died before. That weighs on her. Her boyfriend, uh, Perry, gets eaten. And she has an issue with R, who, you know, did end up doing the killing. And she walks out on that. I guess. I guess. I mean, yeah, I think the problem is in Warm Bodies, we don't get to see a whole lot of Julie before she She resents her dad. She, you know, her world did fall apart. And you see it mostly in the flashbacks, I think, more so than her telling it because it's just the story is not from her angle. Right. And I I think that is the problem, Uh, the fact that the story isn't really told from her perspective all we really know before she meets R is that she is apparently in some sort of militia so i guess you could say that that kind of makes her a strong independent character the fact that she's willing to go out and fight the zombies and yeah you know she seems fairly independent in that respect she's not the girl in the zombie movie who's running around just screaming and that's her role Right. She's not the damsel in distress. I will give yeah. you that. I will give you that. But I still didn't find that relationship and, and, and those roles nearly as fleshed out or as compelling as those in Beautiful Creatures. Well, I'm impressed. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe it's because Warm Bodies is unique in that it's so it's it's from the zombies perspective. Mm-hmm. So I feel like a lot of time is just spent in his mind, in his head, dealing with his internal monologue as he navigates this relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm not sure how the movie – who knows? Maybe it wouldn't have worked or maybe it would be even better if the movie had been from Julie's perspective. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But I can certainly understand the criticism that it's a bit – too focused on on R, and she is just sort of this plot device that really just serves to come around and and start giving him a heart, and or rather helping his heart beat again, quite literally. <laughs> I don't know, but but the, again, that movie is painted in such broad strokes most mm-hmm. of the time. And it is relying on these tropes and these archetypes that we're all familiar with. Mm-hmm. I guess it, it, you know, it, it, maybe it's unfair to expect a really layered presentation of I think gender roles in that movie. Bit, a little bit of difference between the fact that it's a comedy, it's like a romantic comedy, versus something like Beautiful Creatures, which is a drama, and it's supposed to be like, this is, you know, serious business we're dealing with. She could, you know, go to the dark side and, you know, might end up killing Ethan. Right. It, you know, it's it's interesting because I feel like Twilight is often touted as a really pro-feminist movie. Wait, and Twilight? Is suppo- yes. I know no feminist that would say that, but okay. I feel like Stephanie Meyer wants Twilight to be seen as a feminist work you know i i stephanie myers wants a lot of things apparently right i I mean i don't (laughs) think she she wrote twilight thinking to herself oh this is just going to be really sexist and and some people dig bonded like okay so people of both sexes dig being oppressed as like a fetish well well, sure so like it doesn't make it something that we want to emulate that's people's own private 
decisions. And it's not something that, you know, is forced upon by other people. That is something that they do with consent. Well, right. But, 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 but also the fact that Twilight has become such a big, huge franchise with tons of fans mm-hmm. and tons of women that I think read these books and see these movies and really identify with Bella for whatever reason and, 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 mm-hmm. and project themselves onto her. I think yeah. people want to view Bella as a strong female character. And I feel like they, they might look at those books and those movies and say that's, that's what they're about. Though you and I, of course, would strongly disagree with that. Well, all you have to do is like just watch Bella, the character. She doesn't really change in the series. There is no her rising to the occasion. I think she just, it's one note. Well, right. And, and Bella is such an empty character. She's just a shell. That people can project themselves into. Yes. People project themselves onto her. And then I feel like they automatically assume, well, I'm a strong, independent woman and I am seeing myself. Mm -hmm. In, in this capacity. So therefore, Bella must be a strong, independent character, which, which isn't the case. Mm-hmm. In contrast, Beautiful Creatures is a movie that is actually really about that. And it's really about issues of gender and what it means to be a woman and making your own decisions. And that, I mean, that is the primary layer of subtext mm-hmm. of the movie. I mean, it, it, it's it's a rather blatant allegory for young women entering adolescence, learning to become themselves, make their own decisions, and not give in to the social pressures around them. But at the same time, so this is an interesting thing, because now you have my mind thinking in one way, but the whole claiming, the whole premise of the claiming is that women can't choose. It's right, the men can choose them. which side they're claimed. Men can choose. And they can switch, and yeah, and but women can't choose, so it's like it's ascribed to them. So now that we were talking a little bit more in depth, I'm kind of wondering if part of what's that a reference to is you also have here the virgin whore dichotomy. So right, I, I put that in the notes because that's that's what I thought of watching the movie. Yeah. I was realizing, okay, so it's not something that the person themselves align themselves with. It ends up being something that is put upon them. It is a label. Right, and the virgin whore dichotomy for for people that don't know and aren't quite as familiar with those terms, it's the idea that culturally speaking, women are viewed as either completely innocent and virginal and pure, or they're just total sluts and they're just temptresses, and 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 that's how they're defined. And there's really no room for middle ground. Mm-hmm. And that is the impression I got watching the movie. You know, you've got the quote-unquote light casters. The only female light casters we see are old women. Yes. Who are completely asexual. They seem very passive. And in contrast, the, the, the dark casters, the dark women, they're just totally sexual beings mm-hmm. that seduce and manipulate and use that to their advantage. And there's no in between. It's your one, your one or the other. You're, com- and there's you're no completely switching. pure and asexual or you're nothing but evil and totally sexual. Mm-hmm. I agree. Now that I'm 
thinking about it. At first, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of strange that it's not something that, you know, you can change or you can, you know, make that decision. But I guess the societal sense, it's not something that you really choose. It's ascribed to you. If people see you wearing certain clothes, they ascribe that sort of value to you. Right. And so Lena has to come to grips with the fact that it's outside of her control. She's going to be, quote unquote, claimed by the universe or by society, Mm -hmm. however you want to read it, Mm -hmm. as either light or dark. And there's no room, there's nothing in between. And then at the end of the movie, you know, she has the one orange golden eye and the one green eye to Mm -hmm. indicate that she's somewhere in the middle. She's, She's a little bit of both. She's fully empowered. She's not giving in to these outside forces she is her own woman Mm -hmm. she is neither fully light like her uncle wanted her to be nor fully dark like her mother wanted her to be and it also can be noted that um it's a very limited pool of casters that we meet uh first go around so there's really like i think only four female casters and the mother and the cousin um who are both the dark casters they are both younger so i think that could also have something to do i mean you kind of mentioned it too they're also something to do with age and they also seem very much in tune with their bodies i think even the the cousin's uh nickname or like it's her name in the book or so she's described as a siren she's her name she's actually a siren caster right but even emma thompson's character seraphim you know, just the way she moves and she's so loose and she's just so kind of emotionally open and she's just sort of capable of a very wide range, mm-hmm. I think, and, and of emotions and, and personas. I got a much more, I guess you could call it a sexual vibe from her than yeah. I did from Lena, for instance. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's also fair because, you know, it, she's just developing her sexuality so that could be you know another reference to that is that at 16 she's still not sure which side she's at yeah so it is a really good metaphor for just coming of age and going through puberty and becoming a sexual person Mm -hmm. I, i think it's noteworthy that we see the flashback to how her cousin mm-hmm. was claimed by the dark. And what's the first thing she does? Kill a man. <laughs> she seduces a guy <laughs> and manipulates him, and that kills him. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's the first thing. That's also what she does to uh, Ethan's friend mm-hmm. later on in the movie. She's she's always just seducing guys and manipulating them to either kill them or get them to do what she wants. Yeah. It, it was clear to me watching the movie. I haven't read the books, but but it was obvious to me that clearly these were things the authors must have been thinking about mm-hmm. when they wrote the books. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, if not, it's just it, it flows together thematically very well. Yeah. Well, I I think beautiful creatures in general is just much more thought out than whatever the hell Twilight was. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, it's really interesting. There's all this. Freudian stuff about how Lena has to kill her mother. Oh, yeah. And, you know, clearly her uncle dies, but, I mean, uh, he's the father figure here. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, the movie doesn't go as far in the Freudian direction as to say that she, you know, is, like, sexually attracted to him. Mm -hmm. But 
he's also apparently someone she cares deeply enough about that when he dies, it breaks the curse. Yeah. She thinks that she's going to have to sacrifice Ethan, and yet it turns out to just be her uncle. So somehow the love she has for her uncle is on the same level as that she has for Ethan. It's very strange. Going a little back, um, the whole love thing she still hasn't developed her sexuality and her relationship with ethan doesn't really get that sexual other than you know i think a kiss well there there is a scene when i think it is implied that they have sex when they're on the car or something i'm so used to seeing like headboards broken as a metaphor for sex so right i might have missed it they kind of just fall into the car or whatever then the camera tilts up tilts and, up. and I, I the implication i got was that yes at this point she, they had consummated their relationship. Okay. But I could be wrong. Okay, yeah. We don't talk about those things in the South. <laughs> well, again, it's because I, it, it's because I think the act mm-hmm. of sex is not as important in Beautiful Creatures. As it is in Twilight. As it is in Twilight. Yeah, definitely not. And it, it, it's more just the idea of being a sexual person mm-hmm. that is the focus in beautiful creatures. I think there's also a point um, to what you were saying, but that Jeremy Irons' character serves as the patriarchal guardian to her good ship and is trying to lead her to that. Even though she, you know, she's freaking out and doesn't know what she wants to do and it's like, it's out of her hands. He still puts that pressure on her to, you know, you have to be good. You have, I know you're good. You, you hold mm-hmm. on to it. So I didn't see it see it so much as a Freudian thing. I saw it more as just the patriarchal figure. And if indeed the patriarchal southern figure, father figure, the, the guardian of the household. The really Freudian thing I got from that was just the fact that apparently her love for him is as strong as it is for Ethan. Okay. And it, it's enough to break the curse Mm -hmm. or i mean you could read it that way or you could just read it as you know the 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 act of sacrificing the patriarch yeah is what ultimately liberates her Mm -hmm. overcoming this this patriarchy is what frees her yeah well now she doesn't have her mother who's telling her to go one way and she doesn't have her uncle telling her to go the other way she is now without a guardian right she's she has to be her own woman Mm -hmm. basically she's on her own and now that i'm thinking about it you can read the idea of this this curse that's affecting her and her family i mean that just makes me think of original sin and getting back to eve Mm -hmm. and all that stuff Mm -hmm. so if you want to read a religious element into it as well i guess you could and just how you could argue a system of subjugation was brought out of or evolved out of that theology as well and that idea of original sin and of the woman's curse and Mm. and all that yeah but yeah there's i mean the thing about beautiful creatures is it's dealing with some universal ideas Mm -hmm. but it's presenting them and it's sort of critiquing them in a very specific way Mm -hmm. which i liked like i can't think of very many movies off the top of my head that deal with the virgin whore dichotomy as, as a major part of their subtext. Or it doesn't just buy into it. Right. Slut shame, right. essentially. Most movies just completely buy into it without realizing it. Mm-hmm. 
so yeah, there was, there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff to think about in Beautiful Creatures. It's a shame that other teen romance movies aren't quite as interesting on a thematic level. Or we wouldn't have had so much fun tearing them apart all these years. <laughs> right. I guess it's it's nice to see a young adult property that has somewhat of a brain behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is trying to deal with things that does have subtext that's a little bit more intellectual than your average teen property. <laughs> yeah, at all. Outside of the supernatural teen romance. Right. And even though it's a non-supernatural teen romance movie, uh, the only other young adult property I can think of off the top of my head with a really strong female character is The Hunger Games. Yeah. And and Katniss. Mm-hmm. That's a character... I mean, I mean, there's enough romance in those books, I guess you could say to some extent they're mm-hmm. romantic and they're... I mean, they're not supernatural, but they are a little bit sci-fi Yeah, fantasy, sci-fi. Fantasy. But again, that's a situation in which the character is not defined by the romance. Yeah. Actually, one of the central conflicts in those books is whether or not she can even be in love and whether or not she can have a relationship mm-hmm. with everything that's going on. Yeah. You know, can she make time for that? So yeah, th- I mean, there there are some interesting strong female characters out there in the land of young adult literature. Mm-hmm. It's just too bad that Twilight seems to be getting all the attention. And I mean, my favorite is obviously still going to be Hermione Granger of the Harry Potter series, but she was fortunately more of a supporting character. Right. Yeah. But still, I think, you know, one of the great greatest independent female characters to come out of recent literature. Has no one made like a Hermione Granger-esque series of novels focusing on a young female wizard? Surely that has been done. Surely someone out there has just taken the character of Hermione Granger, changed the name, and made a series of books about it. I mean, not that I've come across. It probably does exist. God knows. I kind of stopped reading young adult literature for a couple years now. But, like, I'm also thinking of the series of Unfortunate Events where it was um, Violet. Um, She was the engineering one. She was the book smart one was her younger brother and then her the little baby was the one that kind of just helped out whenever it could do something but she was the oldest responsible for the two young her two younger siblings and mm-hmm. it was also interesting to read those characters but as that one's more of an evil playing field I think for those three unfortunately that movie adaptation really just did not take off at all. I have not read the books or seen that movie. Don't see it's the first three books smushed together in one movie. Oh no, that sounds terrible. Jim Carrey, yeah, it was really sad to watch as a fan of the series. Okay, well, well, let's wrap things up just by. I, I guess you want to sort of list the things we've discovered make a compelling supernatural teen romance story. Give them characters. Give them characters, yes. People that are defined by things other than... Their relationship. Their relationships. Yes, that's a good start. Uh, yeah, especially <laughs> don't let the relationship be the only aspect of the story. Uh, number two, I think, would be don't define the relationship solely by sex. Yeah, hypersexualization anyways. Uh, I think rule number three would be 
make your female characters matter. <laughs> <laughs> We've had enough of a wimpy damsel in distress. Yes. Let's get creative, guys. And girls, girl writers, guy writers. Yes, make their actions have an impact. You know, even Julie in Warm Bodies served a limited function beyond just the dream girl, just the damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. That helped. Any other words of advice you can you can give people? Any other rules they should be sure to follow? To an extent, just realize if you are going to make the relationship an aspect of the story, don't do what Twilight did and make it the give the power to someone in the relation, all the power of the relationship into one side if it's the girl or the guys that's an unhealthy relationship anyways and we've had plenty of those stories and they're terrorizing and they're awful and they're just for me they're not enjoyable and they creep everybody out <laughs> to an extent i would also say if you're if you're going to make a movie that's supposedly about a strong female character mm -hmm. make sure you understand basic concepts related to feminism and objectification and sexuality in regards to to women in society laura croft is a very troubled figure laura croft is a troubled figure yes <laughs> make sure your 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 knowledge goes beyond <laughs> the tomb raider series of video games yes read a book <laughs> basically <laughs> before you write your script read a book read a feminine intro to feminism book <laughs> yes i think that that would be helpful bell hooks feminism is for everyone it's a very nice easy digestible this is why patriarchy is no good it hurts men and women equally right this is why you know we are striving towards equality this is why we want to focus on the positives this is why we want to take out the system of oppression that we have already in our society in our relationships that <laughs> good recommendation i'll link to that in the show notes yes well it was one of my favorite reads and it's real it's nice and short it's maybe only about 120 pages Pages, and very easy to get a hold of concept in short chapters. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for our episode on beautiful creatures and supernatural young adult romance <laughs> stories. And apparently there's more on the way. Oh, really? That's that's what my friend has warned me. He's a little bit more in tuned with like book culture and stuff like that. So I'm just letting you know, man, it's, it's coming. I just hope we don't have to... To see very many more movies. I'm afraid that they're going to be more in the vein of Twilight than they are of beautiful creatures. That's a shame. That's the shame. Thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode of Cinema Fix. Be sure to tune in uh, next time when we'll be discussing either Dark Skies or I, I think we'll be talking about Snitch. We're so talking about Snitch. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes, so if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us th through the website. We really appreciate uh, your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including our newest show, All About the Ultimate Fighter, Cage Side. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find my work on Twitter at MCASTI Movies. That's MCASTI Movies. They can also find my work linked to on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at BOFCA.com. 
You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. All right, I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema and falling in love with the supernatural movie. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!